open your Bibles up to the glorious gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at this last chapter in the book of Matthew and the last verses in this last chapter of Matthew. Verses 18, 19, and 20 of Matthew 28. As we continue in week six of our seven-week teaching series on this idea that we're more than an audience. That we are called to love the nations. And this isn't just a call for Roy and Men or Johnny and Megan and Eli. This is a call for all of us. We all have a part to play. As you can see in your sermon notes, it says everybody plays. We want to start with this great passage from Matthew chapter 28. It's nicknamed the Great Commission. The Barna Research Group did a survey a few years ago, and they asked people who identified as followers of Jesus, have you heard of the Great Commission? And 51% of those that were surveyed had not heard of this passage. Now, I don't want Calvary Church, anyone here, to be guilty of not understanding or hearing the Great Commission. So let's listen to Jesus' words. This is post-resurrection. He gathers his disciples together and he says this, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that good? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so these very words, the great commission that Jesus gave these 11 fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors, These words apply to you and I today as followers of Christ. Can be boiled down to verse 19. Go, make disciples. Disciple is a phrase, a term meaning go teach people to follow Jesus, to obey the words of Jesus, to place their faith in Jesus. And then go to all the nations. This word originally would be ethne or ethnic groups. Go to all the ethnic groups. Again, this isn't just for us to watch others do it. We all have a part to play. It's an all play if you've ever played one of those board games before. We all have a role. Now you may be thinking like, oh Matt, like I already have a lot of burdens uh, on my shoulders, right? Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but our nation's in a little bit of turmoil right now. we got this whole pandemic thing going on. I just don't have the bandwidth to even consider anything outside my own world and sphere, let alone the globe. And yeah, I just want to encourage us here today. As we learn and follow God's heart for the nations, it changes how we even live in our neighborhoods here today. And the opportunities that I've had to go overseas, when I come back here to Santa Ana, my whole perspective is changed. As I realize that God's a big God who is faithful, not just in this little chunk of the world, but everywhere. His presence is everywhere. And all of a sudden it makes my problems here in Orange County kind of seem pale in comparison to the faithfulness of God. When you dig in and follow the heart of God for the nations, It changes even you as you live in your neighborhood. 
And so this is for all of us, not just for a select few. And there's different ways that you can get involved in this game. You can pray, give, and you can go. And I want to give you some tools of how we can pray even starting today. We have this 1002 prayer. We've been talking a lot about this, but I feel like I still need to keep talking about it just to get all of us on board. It's the idea that every day at 1002, we stop and we pray Luke 102, which is God, I pray for more workers in the harvest. For the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You heard Roy refer to pastors in Japan, how there's a shortage there right now. And so every day at 10.02, we want to pray, God, send more workers into your plentiful harvest. And God, here's a bold prayer, send me. May I be a worker into your harvest. So mark that on your phones, that the time changes next weekend. So now it's a perfect time to start a new rhythm and routine. Put somewhere you'll be reminded to pray every day at 10.02 a.m. And last night, I walked by our microwave clock at 10.02 p.m. And I'm like, oh, wow, they're... There's a 10.02 p.m. as well. (laughs) Encourage you to take moments to pray for the nations. That's a way that you can play and and not just be an audience. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we have a really great opportunity to meet in the patio, rain or shine. Calvary, we can do this. We can brave the elements. We can go outside for an hour tonight. You can do it. (laughs) But we're going to have an opportunity just to worship God and then to pray specifically for different parts of the world tonight at five o'clock. And then this Wednesday, Tom and Gail Shook, who have been missionaries in Mongolia and Asia, are leading us in a time of praying for the immigrant as they have a heart to to lead Calvary and having a passion, compassion for uh, the refugee. And so this Wednesday at seven o'clock, there's info on our website. We'd love to invite you to come and simply pray for those that have been displaced that even live among us. So that's how we can play. We can also give, Eric referred to this as one of the buckets of finances that we do here is to give towards our REACH fund. This is what we call above and beyond our normal tithe or offering. It's an opportunity for us to trust God with our finances and say, God, you own it all. And I believe that you're the God of not only Santa Ana, but you're the God of this world. And so I invest. I plant a seed in what you're doing around the world through Calvary Missions. You can give. Please give. And then you can go uh, eventually. (laughs) Maybe not today. But you eventually will be able to go. I'd even encourage us in this preparation time while the borders are closed. uh, Go get a passport. Go to your local post office and update or renew your passport or get one for the first time. Be ready to go so that when the nations open, you can participate and get out of the audience and jump in. Aaron Holm is uh, our wonderful uh, one of our reach um, pastors here, and, and this is her email. I encourage you, if, if you're interested in going in the future, not, jot this down. Reach out to Aaron and say, Aaron, I know it's not now, but, but when, I, I want to play. I want to jump into the game. As we've been kind of thinking through how to, like, even encourage you to get involved, we've had this idea of we, we want to have a twofold vision right now admissions at Calvary. And the first fold is this, is good news for Europe. You heard uh, the peoples refer to this, that, that there's a great need in Europe. Less than 2% would trust Jesus, have trusted Jesus personally, would say that the Bible is God's inspired word, believe that Jesus will literally come back again. The harvest is plentiful. Many need to know about Jesus. 
I don't know if you know, but in the book of Acts, we read about the very first Christian in Europe. It's a woman named Lydia. Verse 14 of Acts chapter 16, it says that she was from the city of Thyteria, which is kind of modern day Turkey now, but she was living in Greece, Macedonia. A seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, she was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. First Christian in Europe. Isn't this cool? The heritage that Europe has with, with Lydia following Jesus. I did something that maybe you'd consider odd this week. I just did a Google search and I typed in Lydia Europe. And this is what popped up, this photo of this woman from Belgium named Lydia. I don't have her permission to show this, so I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble or what. But, but this to me represents a modern day European. Lydia is her name. She lives in Belgium. She's a real life person. Would you pray for Lydia? Would you pray for those that she represents in Europe who don't know Jesus? There's Lydia's here today waiting for people to come tell them about Christ. My friend uh, Mike and Cookie Taylor, my friends, they work with Greater Europe Mission. We actually invited Mike to come and share on the platform here today. But with the COVID travel and things, we thought it would be best for him just to set up his video camera and speak to us through that medium. And so I want you to watch this video. It's Mike sharing a little bit of his story. It's him telling a story of a conversion where he was serving in England. And then he gives us a little challenge as well. So sit back. It's about 14 minutes. So get comfortable. Watch Mike's story on the screen. I didn't, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in a believing home. My father uh, wasn't a spiritual man. And so church was not a part of our DNA as a kid. I mean, we didn't read the Bible, you know, we didn't uh, pray together. Um, and my dad was a colonel in the Air Force. And uh, we, you know, I was, he was stationed at March Air Force Base right there in Southern California. And, um, you know, so we, we moved around quite a bit. Um, and, but when he retired, he'd grown up in Northwest Arkansas. And when he retired, uh, we moved to Fayetteville. So I literally moved from one of the coolest places on the planet, Southern California, to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I was like, Dad, what are we doing? You know, uh, I was like 11 or 12. And, um, you know, in your head, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what's what's Arkansas like? It's actually amazing and lovely. Uh, and I enjoyed my, you know, my life in Northwest Arkansas. But it was one of those deals as a kid. You're like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? Anyway, so we left Southern California. Uh, and, you know, I, we still didn't have this spiritual ethos in our home. And, uh, but I was working at a pizza joint once uh, when, I was a, when I was a teenager. And um, I was passing pizzas out the window. Uh, we were the, one of the first, I guess, pizza, pizza places that had a drive-through window. I don't know many that have them now anyway. But um, so we, we, you know, so we were working. I was working. And this guy drives through and he orders 10 pizzas. And I'm like, man, this guy's having a party. And that's kind of what I was into, you know. And um, I kind of, you know, built my life into, you know, this, you know, this idea that, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do what I wanted. I was involved, you know, with stuff that wasn't healthy. And so this guy's having a party. I want to come. And so we start talking and he goes, uh, well, the party is over at 11. I'm thinking first thing I thought was, well, that's a lame party. I don't even get off till midnight. You know, I was 16. And, um, and so, but I got his name. He said, well, I've got a, a group of young people, which is, well, was also kind of a, a clue to me who talks about young people. If you're a grown adult, that was a bit creepy. So anyway, so he, he basically said to me, hey, I'm taking a group of young people 
backpacking in Colorado. And I was like, man, I want to go. So I got his number and his name and I called him the next day. And two weeks later, I went to Creed, Colorado, Young Life Wilderness Ranch. Had no clue spiritually what I was getting into. But that guy, Johnny May, led me to Christ as a 16-year-old man, 1978. Uh, I literally came down out of the mountains a different person than the guy that went up into it. And it, it started my journey with Jesus, this, this walk with God that has lasted now uh, 42 plus years. And it's been, it was the most significant, incredible decision that I made way back then. But it's been a life of decision, a lifetime of decisions to follow Jesus, to hear his voice, to respond in obedience. Um, so that's when I trusted Christ and I gave my life to the Lord and really began uh, this incredible uh, journey of knowing Jesus. And then uh, a couple of years after that, uh, I was at a youth camp for the first time since Wilderness Ranch. And there was this guy preaching and I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to surrender my life to vocational ministry. Um, that wasn't on my radar. Uh, I was actually a geology major. I wanted to make a lot of money. And, you know, that was kind of where I was headed. And, um, but God really compelled me to say out loud, you know, I'm going to give my life to the ministry for the rest of my life. And so literally from 2000 or from, uh, uh, let's see, that was, that was 81, 1981, uh, to 2011, uh, I served as a youth pastor in North America. And so uh, that's really what I did for, for all those years, uh, engaged in young people, reaching out to young people, discipling young people. In 2005, uh, this crazy character that some of you may know, uh, John Burns showed up at my church in Houston, Texas, and our lives collided, and um, we've become uh, brothers and partners in ministry. Uh, he's the president of GEM, and uh, at the time, he was the Youth for Christ director in the Northeast, and he invited me to bring our young people across to serve in England. It was the first time I went to England uh, ever, actually, um, and it was the first time I'd ever done missions in Europe, 2005. And when I got there on that trip, God really blew me away of the lostness and the need of England and how once was the brightest candle that burned for the gospel, uh, the churches in England and leadership in England, and they were sent missionaries all over the world, um, was now a really, really challenging spiritual place, a really, really dark place. Um, I, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, less than 3% would profess to have a personal relationship with Jesus in the United Kingdom. The continent of Europe is under that. Every statistic, every country is under that statistic, except for the country of Romania. And so here, here, we, here I was, 2005, engaging in this post-Christian environment, this post-Christian culture. And I was drawn in immediately. I was blown away. I actually wrote in my journal, God, is this a place I'll spend significant time and life and ministry. Now, I loved my job and I loved my church and I loved youth ministry, but God was definitely pulling me into this new arena. Um, and it's not the time normally that that happens. You know, when we finally moved to England, I was in my late 40s um, and we lived there and served there for nine years. Um, but but it was it was this process of God pulling me into, you know, we we saw the need and then we wrestled with the call and then God said, I want you to step out and obey. And so that, that's really uh, how we got involved in Europe uh, and in England as a ministry and serving and building relationships. We had a young lady in our ministry 
that we, uh, in England, that we met when she was nine. Now, this sweet girl is named Helena. And I've told Helena's story all over the world, actually, um, because it's it's been such a powerful thing to watch God do this in her life. She came to a kids club. We were having an after-school club in a, a little town called Thornaby. And as she began to come, her her uh, default setting was God was not real. God, Jesus was a myth. And there is, you know, there's, she came desperate and needy, uh, impoverished, but um, didn't know God was real or have any understanding of what, it was almost pre-Christian, actually. You know, the lostness is so palpable in Europe that it's, it's almost pre-Christian now, not post-Christian. It's pretty incredible. And so as we were hanging out with Helena, she began to ask questions. Um, and, and I would love to say she gave her life to Christ when she was nine. Um, and, you know, you know, she uh, went on this transformative journey, uh, spiritual formation right then. But the reality is, the truth is, because of that challenge that Europe faces of the post-Christian thought, it took five years for Helena to get to the place where she would say, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Now watch this. So so as Helena grew up and began to ask why questions, she kept coming, she kept processing, but she ultimately, in the end, she, she gave her life to Christ. Uh, we baptized her when she was 16. Um, and today, right now, this moment, she's uh, 17. She's actually going to college. Now in England, college is your junior and senior year in high school in North America. And so she's going to college, and uh, every day, Helena sends a screenshot of her devotional to uh, myself and my wife, Cookie, um, to show us every day that she's immersing her soul in the Word of God. She's talking to God in prayer, just moment by moment. It's, it's one of the most beautiful stories of the journey of relational ministry and the encounter of the Holy Spirit, giving her life to Christ. And she's on this journey. And the other day I got a text from her and um, she said, I'm really, really excited. I know the path I'm on. I'm going to go to a ministry down in uh, near Oxford in Bicester um, called Rain Ministries. It's a training ground for youth workers, for youth ministry in the United Kingdom. Now, you know what she said? I want to be the voice that you were in my town. Isn't that amazing? Oh my gosh, it's amazing to see the transformation in Helena's life as we pressed in relationally, lived a life of authenticity, and waited for why questions. And then they came, and then she gave her life to Christ, and she's been discipled and baptized. And now she wants to be trained to be the hands and feet of Jesus in her little patch in England. It's one of the most... Uh, powerful stories of faith and the journey of salvation in a post-Christian culture. And we want to see, and we are seeing that all across the continent of Europe as the gospel is lived out in the context of relationships and people are coming to Jesus. The other piece that I want to share with you really quick before we finish is this whole piece of hospitality um, around relational ministry. And you know, England and Europe are famous for their castles and walls, 
right? Everybody wants a castle and everybody wanted to, you know, to be walled in so no one could get to them. And in, in America, we've, we've kind of done that as well with, you know, gated communities and big fences to kind of shield off the outside world. Um, and in reality, um, that hinders relational ministry. And so I want to, I want to speak into your life and just of the power of hospitality as you view these, uh, this moment that we're in, how are we going to reach people and make disciples? What would it look like for you to view the, the doorframe of your home, the threshold of the door as a place to invite people into your world? to advance the gospel. See, I, I, we learned ra rather quickly in England in our nine years there that the best way to cultivate relationships was around the table. You know, Jesus, I love this thought, Jesus ate his way through the gospels, right? I mean, everywhere Jesus was going, he was on his way to a meal or some event that was related to food. Um, and a lot of the powerful moments we see in the gospels is Jesus at a party or around a table and I think we in, in America need to begin to think like that. How can I use my home, my yard, my living room, my kitchen table as the opportunity to see relationships built and just the view, just a view of hospitality? I'm going to serve my neighbors. You know, what, what would happen if you took the mile around your house? And you began to prayer walk that. And you began to say, God, help me to build relationships with the people in my neighborhood that I could invite them into my, you know, my life, my kitchen table, uh, and just do the slow process of relationships that lead to conversations, that lead to why questions, that lead to folks giving their life to Christ. I actually think... Discipleship and evangelism are commingled in that arena. They already begin to take on some of the characteristics of you as a Christ follower as they hang out with you. But, but what we've done for so many years is say, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to punch the clock, I'm going to come back home, and I'm going to retreat into my den. Some of you men have man caves, right? You just want to retreat into your man cave and you want to be isolated. But we're not meant to live alone. That aloneness factor is real. We're meant to do life together. We're meant to do life in community. We're meant to make disciples in the context of relationships. And so I really, as you think about this mission reach as a church, as you think about how can we touch the nations, um, I believe it's through the context of relationships. That's why we value your partnership with Jim. Uh, we want to get you into arenas where our people are on the ground uh, serving side by side, building relationships, and you come and maybe you experience a short-term trip. Maybe you're like me, 40-something. Yeah, I would love to mobilize you, you 40-year-old somebody in this, in, watching this on video. And you're like, man, there's got to be more with my life than this. I'd, I'd love for you to be brought into an arena where you can hang out with some of our team on the ground in Europe and God begin to stir your heart for a future calling to give your life away. It's really all about that. It's about relationships. It's about investing in people, using the vehicle of hospitality. So I pray this has landed on your heart today. I pray God's uh, challenged you and spoken to you. Um, and I look forward to the day 
but I get to come hang out with you guys as a church and yeah, invest, invest in you guys personally and relationally, um, get to know you guys better. So God bless you. Let me pray for you. And then we'll, uh, we'll end this time together. God, thank you so much. Thank you for Eric and for Matt. What a blessing those guys are to me personally. I pray your blessing over them as they lead this incredible church. I thank you for the long history of, of Calvary Santa Ana and just the, the wonderful uh, investment they've made globally and locally for, for so many years, all the way back into the 30s. God, thank you for that. Thank you for the beauty of this church at work and doing mission. But God, I pray today that we would understand our calling individually to do life with people for the advancement of the gospel. Help that to become our rhythm, Lord. Help that to become the way of life that we live, that we open up our lives, open up our homes, um, and we give ourselves away. And we give all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Isn't that great? So there's more Helenas, there's more Lydias from Belgium that are waiting for relationships to talk about Jesus with. And so again, we're not just an audience sitting back and, and clapping for other people. No, let's get involved, pray, and to give, and to go. This is our calling as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as, as the family of God here at Calvary Church. And so one of the visions that's bubbled up over the last year or so has been this idea of reaching Europe. And the other one is this, is Bibles for everyone. The idea that the scriptures still need to be translated in so many different languages. And I want to just remind us, refresh us again, that God's word is so powerful. Look at Psalm 19, verse 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Maybe you just need your soul restored right now. God's word is the antidote, is what you need, is the, is the fuel for restoration. And God's word can fuel and restore and feed those in any language or tribe. Why? Because God's word's powerful. Maybe you just want to write these down real quick because this is just an incredible list of the power of God's word. It's a fire that burns. It's a hammer that breaks. It's a rain that waters crops. It's milk that nourishes spiritual babies. It's food that fills the spiritual hungry. It's a sword that pierces the heart and battles the devil. It's gold that spiritually enriches us. It's a mirror that shows us our true selves. It's a lamp that illuminates our path. This is the power of God's word. This is what Joanne Shetler understood. Joe grew up in San Luis Obispo on a ranch. She had cows and sheep. She had lived a great life up there in San Luis, San Luis Obispo County. She came down here to go to Biola. Went to Biola and it was there that she said, Okay, Lord, I will serve you wherever you call me. And at 22 years old as a single woman, Joe was called to the mountains of the Philippines. This is about six hours north of Manila. You take a bus, you get off the bus, you take a two-day hiking trip to get to the Balangao people. Joe was the first Westerner that had ever lived with this people group. And over 20 years, Joe from San Luis Obispo, Biola grad, translated the scriptures. And this woman right here is the first follower of Jesus in the Belango language. This is Tekla, not, not Tesla. <laughs> Her name's Tekla. Tekla's mom was a witch doctor. 
So Tekla had all kinds of spiritual darkness in her life. But when she began to understand the scriptures through the tool of Joanne Shetler, Tekla gave her life to Jesus and her life was forever changed. In fact, you can read more about Tekla's story and Joanne's story in this incredible book. It's called, And the Word Came with Power. Some of you need to do book clubs on this. This this book is fantastic. You cannot put it down if you get it. Please pick up this book. It tells more of the story. So Tekla becomes a believer in Jesus. This is Anna and this is her husband Victor and these are their two sweet kids. Uh, Anna is from the Belangao people. She went to university, thought she would just kind of work in the business world, ended up God called her to missions. She ended up in Papua New Guinea. Her husband, Victor, is a native of PNG, and they began to translate the Bible in Papua New Guinea for tribal people. But it was during their work over the last couple years that God began to put on both of their heart uh, opportunity to return to the Belongao people and translate the Old Testament. You see, Joanne had translated the New Testament, but the Old Testament has not been translated yet for the people. And so Anna and Victor and their kids moved back up into that region. In fact, this week, they're translating the book of Exodus. So cool. Pray for them. Because they said this this is a hard week. There's some terms in Exodus that don't translate into the Belongao language. Anna is the daughter of Tekla. God changing one person at a time who then changes one person at a time. It's powerful. We have the privilege to partner with Anna and Victor. Your dollars go to support them in translating the book of Exodus right now. It's awesome. Get in the game. We're not just an audience. We're called to be involved. And oh, there's so much work still to be done. You can see some of these stats. They're overwhelming. Just this month, they did a recalculation of the languages that still need to be translated for the full Bible, and it's, there's great needs. Wycliff Bible Translators has been a privileged partner of Calvary since it began in early 1940s. The founder of Wycliffe Bible Translation was Cameron Townsend. I don't know if you know this, but on the 89th birthday of Calvary, you should, Cameron Townsend was a member of Calvary Church. Here in Santa Ana, God used this one life to now change thousands and thousands and thousands of life. Here's a picture of Cameron and his wife and their kids. Their oldest daughter here is Grace. Grace is a Calvary missionary. And Grace is here today. I want you to meet her. So Grace and her husband Tom and then our executive pastor Michael Wells, will you come up, share a little bit more of the story of Uncle Cam. Let's welcome them up. (laughs) 